we are going to talk about the Easter story. Now, obviously, every Easter we talk about the Easter story because some of you maybe even have it memorized. But if you want to know the details of the Easter story, I'm going to give you some places you can go read this weekend because I'm not going to read them all uh, tonight. But for those people who like details or you like to check it all out, the Easter story, of course, is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, if you're one of those people that wants to read a lot about it after, these are where you can find them in those chapters. So Matthew chapter 26 all the way to 28, a lot of detail there. Mark four, chapter 14 all the way to chapter 16. Luke chapter 22 all the way to 24. And John... So read the details if you're a detail person. But today I'm going to tell you some of it. And I'm actually going to read and start at the end of the Easter story. And as we look at the Easter story, I'm going to kind of continue in the theme I did last week on Palm Sunday. And I want you to put yourself there. I want you to think about where you would be and more specifically today, what would you do? if you'd been there. Because this story is relevant to us, but I think you get a better feel if you take yourself back there. So as I told them last time, take yourself back there tonight. Go all the way back. If you have to in your mind, imagine that you're wearing a gown about to here, with it tied around, whatever it takes. But picture yourself there. But let me go to the end of the Easter story in Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. Now Luke is the one who wrote Acts, and he starts off by talking about what he wrote previously, which would have been in the book of Luke. And he says, In my first book I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. And during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I have told you before. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. The disciples then went to the upper room and waited in prayer for the promise. And as they waited in that upper room in prayer, we can be sure they would have waited together 
times of prayer and times of remembering, times of prayer and times of discussion. We're waiting. Because you see, they're wondering what's next. And I can guarantee they went back in their minds to what had taken place so little time ago. A time when every one of them had ran and hid. You see, Jesus was their master. They called him master. That meant we will follow you. We will do whatever you want. But when the crunch came down, when Jesus was taken, every one of them would flee. And yet we read at the end of this story, they're once again asking him, is the time now when we have our earthly kingdom? And he tells them, that time's not for you to know. But I've got something better for you. I've got something for you much better. I'm going to fill you with power and I'm going to let you be my witnesses. Now we need to look at the story a little bit to understand where they're feeling and what they're happening. What's going on with them. And I'm doing this for a reason because you and I are coming into the picture after this all happened. And for us, it may not have been or seem as real. You see, it began with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying because he knew in his spirit what the Father was asking him to do. The Father was asking him to suffer. And we know that he prayed in that garden and he asked his disciples to pray with him and they kept falling asleep. And he said, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Oh boy, has anybody ever been there? <laughs> I remember years ago doing worship for my father-in-law at tent meetings. I'd do carpentry all day and then go to the tent meeting and those would go till midnight or longer and then go to carpentry and come back. By the end of the week, the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. It was the most horrible music you'd ever heard. I'll confess. <laughs> So there are times when the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, and that was them. Well, Jesus in that garden says, my time is at hand, and Judas comes with a crowd of people and gives him a kiss. He is then taken by the chief priests and elders, and they give him a trial. The religious people give him a trial first. And they decide that he has blasphemed God and that he's worthy of death. And scripture tells us that they spit on him and they begin mocking him. And it says they hit him with their hands and said, prophesy who hit you. Now, I know some of us, well, I thought that was the soldiers. It happened more than once. Read all the gospel stories. I'm putting them together for you. These were the religious people. What? Religious people can be that mean? <laughs> uh-huh. If they think they're right and you're wrong. Religious people were extremely angry at Jesus. Even jealous, but angry because he was doing it different and he was messing with the way it had always been. While this is going on, P 
Peter is actually trying to stay close to see what's happening with Jesus. Peter, we know, is a bit of a fighter. He was the guy who pulled out the sword at the garden and was going to fight and chop somebody's ear off instead. So he wasn't a great fighter, but he, you know, he wanted to fight. I don't think he was going for the ear. But Peter still a little bit in that, oh, I'm going to fight if he needs me, so I'm going to hang out in the background. But while he was hanging out, people recognized him. And then he said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. Out of fear. But in his heart, he wanted to be there for Jesus, but his fear was greater. In the morning, because of course that happened at night, in the morning we know that the priests and elders take Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor. Because you see, they have decided that he's worthy of death, but they want the Romans to do it for them. So they take him to Pilate. Pilate talks with Jesus, and in his mind he can tell this guy hasn't done anything wrong, but they're jealous of him. Pilate's wife has a dream and sends messenger, a message to Pilate and says, don't touch this man, I've had a dream, don't. But the people are calling out for him to be crucified. You see, Pilate decides, he comes up with a plan, I know what I'll do, because every year at this feast, we release a prisoner to the Jews. So in a way, he did it so he'd make them happy, I'll release a prisoner for you. You can see there was many in that day and time that were upset at the Romans. And a band of people would rise up with a leader and they'd get arrested. And so he decides, I know, I'll give them a choice between this really horrible criminal named Barabbas or Jesus. I'll give them the choice and for sure they'll choose Jesus. But they don't. They choose Barabbas. You see, the religious leaders and those that didn't like Jesus worked the crowd until the crowd was angry and wanting Jesus dead. The same crowd, by the way, who was likely cheering when he came into Jerusalem. But now the crowd is calling, crucify him. Crucify him! I mentioned this last week, don't follow the crowd. The crowd will change its mind and you'll be going a different direction on a regular basis. Crucify him, they shouted. But Pilate decides first he'll have him whipped. He'll have him scourged. And Jesus is likely tied to a post and whipped with a whip that has pieces of metal and likely pieces of bone in it. Then the soldiers who were part of that whipping take Jesus and they put a robe on him and they put a crown of thorns on his head and they put a reed in his hand. And then they bow before him. Say, oh great king mocking him. And when they've had enough fun doing that, they grab the reed that they put in his hand and they hit him over the head. 
driving the thorns into his head. And yet, Jesus, the King of kings, at any time could have called on the Father and he would have sent a legion of angels, he said. Any time. Yet he stayed there knowing that for you and I. It's one thing to be stuck there and you can't get out, but he had a choice and he stayed there. And once again, people spit on him. The king of kings, we sung about it. And he stood there humbled being spat on. Jesus is then led to Golgotha. He started out carrying a cross. One of the gospels said they found another man to carry it for him because he had no strength left. But he gets to Golgotha and they nail him to that cross. The nails going through would have been extremely painful through the wrists and through the feet. They stab the cross up and there he hangs for all the world to see. And on either side, a thief hangs with him. One thief, we're told, mocks him. Another thief says, Lord, remember me. He talks favorably for Jesus. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And while Jesus is on that cross, the Roman soldiers decide they'll put a sign above him for everybody to see that walks by. And he put on there the king of the Jews. It was a slap in the face to the Jewish people as well as Jesus. So much so that the religious leaders went to the Romans and said, don't put that, put he said he was the king of the Jews. In other words, we don't think so. But the sign was there and they mocked. The soldiers cast lots for his garment. He had a one-piece garment that couldn't be ripped and they said, well, let's cast lots for it. They're gambling for his clothes. No one realizing who it is hanging on that cross. And once again, the crowd mocks him. Once again, the crowd begins to call out different things. Hey, if you're who you said, why don't you come down from the cross? Why don't you call for someone to come get you down? Oh, you must not really be who you said you were. You're a fake. In the crowd. And in that crowd, every kind of people, and unfortunately, in that crowd, religious leaders. People who knew their Bible and had it memorized in the crowd. prideful and missing what God wanted to do. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Pride will destroy you. Pride will cause you to miss out. Pride will cause you to destroy others. 
Can I say it again, church, Christian people? We were never called to punish, to give people what they deserve. But here Jesus hung for hours. And finally, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he dies. In one of the Gospels, it says that there was an earthquake that happened when he died. It said that the veil in the temple was ripped in two. You see, between the Holy of Holies and the other portion of the temple was a large veil and nobody was allowed to go in there. Only the high priest at certain times. But that was ripped open. A sign, if you will, a symbol of the fact that Christ's death was going to make it possible for us to come into the very presence of a holy God. One of the Gospels even says that with that earthquake and the ripping of the temple, that there was even people who rose from the dead and came out of the graves. According to one of the Gospels, real people came out of their graves. The soldiers who were experiencing it were gripped with fear. And they looked at each other and said, truly this must be the Son of God. I've got to ask you as we go through this story, where would you have been and what would you have done? If you were one of the soldiers, would you have laughed? Or would you have come to the conclusion that they did? This must be the Son of God. Or would you have been part of the crowd and, well, the crowd is still making fun, let's join them. Because the crowd must be right. The crowd's always right. <coughs> of course not. Young people, get a hold of that Bible Know what you know. Stand on it for your life. If you're going to go with what the crowd wants, you'll be defeated and you will find yourself destroying what God wants. You know, I often think about this, especially since I've been doing the message, where would I have been? Would I have been hiding somewhere with the other disciples? Because they're recognizable. Everybody recognizes these guys from Galilee. I don't know if they all had certain beards or what, but everybody seemed to recognize them. Would I have been hiding? Wondering, like, what is going on? This wasn't what he said. I was like 100% sure we were all going to be kings with him. What's going on? I hope they don't find me because I don't want to be on a cross. Where would you have been? Or would you have been the guy like Peter waiting to, for the moment where he might just call that you can use your sword because <laughs> you've been practicing? Or, and I hope everybody can say no to this one, would you be standing with the religious leaders? Finally, we got rid of that troublemaker. How dare he mess with the way it was? 
I still can't believe that guy. Come in our streets and heal people on the Sabbath. How dare he? Does he not know that God gave us the role of leading? God did give them the role. You know that? They knew God's word in the Old Testament, but they missed what he was doing because they were proud and refused to move on from the past. They didn't see who Jesus was. The body of Jesus is then taken down from the cross and placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Placed in the tomb and a stone is rolled over the front. We read in one of the Gospels that the religious leaders were afraid that they might steal his body, so they asked for soldiers to be put in front of the tomb with the stone sealed so that there could be nobody steal that body. But we know from what Scripture has told us that Jesus rose from the grave. And once again, it tells us there was an earthquake, there was a shaking. The soldiers fell down as though they were dead and the stone was rolled away supernaturally and Christ rose from the grave. Because three days later, Mary Magdalene and some other women came to the tomb and they were coming, you know, to put spices and to mourn over this dead body, but there was no dead body. And they end up seeing Jesus. And he says, go back and tell the others, I have risen and I will come and see them. And then Jesus meets with many of them for 40 days. Now here they are. Here we are. They're waiting in this upper room. They've been praying because God wants to give them power to go out and turn the world upside down. To go out and bring in many to experience salvation. So I have a question for you. Let me ask it again. After experiencing all of this, if you had been there, what would you do? Because you see, the Easter experience requires us to make a life decision that will affect our time now and our future in eternity. You need to understand something. If you had been there and experienced that, and you chose to do nothing... Nothing is a decision. Let me say that again. Doing nothing is a decision. What do I mean? Well, let me put it in terms maybe you'll understand better. If your mom tells you to clean your room and you do nothing, you made a decision, a bad decision. Your dad tells you to mow the lawn and you do nothing, that's a decision. Well, the same with Jesus. 
If you experienced this and you heard it and you understood and the message was going that this is the Messiah, this is the only way to reach the Father. The only name, the name above all names is Jesus. It's the only way. Now you're left with a decision. If your teacher asks you to do assignment and it's due by this day and that's when it gets marked, if you do nothing, you made a decision. And doing nothing has consequences. Or maybe you'd just go back to everyday usual life. So say, if you had experienced that, how could you go back to everyday life. Some of them did. Some of them went back fishing for a while. Many of the crowd that had watched went back to their everyday life. Well, it's just another guy that got put on a cross. Should have kept his mouth shut when the Romans were around. When people experience Christ and they go back, it usually means a couple of things. One, they didn't really understand what happened. Or two, I don't know if I should say this one, but it is a fact sometimes people are lazy and they don't care to find out, to learn, or to grow. It would take too much work. That was rough. Sorry, guys. Or maybe you'd be like the Pharisees or Sadducees and you would just continue to fight to prove that Jesus was a fake and you were always right. Did you know they didn't quit fighting even after he'd been crucified, rose from the dead? They would not quit fighting to try to prove they were right. So much so that they had some in their group like Paul who went out finding more people to kill. I told you, pride is ugly. And pride will make you a person who hurts and destroys others. Drop it. You need to make a decision. And the decision to accept Christ is to accept His grace, is to accept His mercy, is to accept His love and to walk in it. And my friend, pride will not let you do that ever. I would hope that maybe you'd be the kind of person that would begin to ask questions until you got answers. Why was this guy crucified? Well, I know there's some of his followers over there. I'm going to go find out. How come you guys are still going out here talking about him? How come there's still miracles happening? He must be real. What is it all about? I hope you wouldn't ignore that pulling inside to risk it all for Jesus. Would you be willing to step out of the safe, the ordinary, the comfortable? Because you see, those that went to follow Jesus in that day were saying, I'm willing to lose my life if that's what it takes. I want to follow him. 
today, when we say, I'm going to follow him no matter what, we kind of mean like, I'm going to follow him even if it's a little uncomfortable. Well, that's about it. And even then, it gets a little uncomfortable. Like, oh, this is so hard. Sister so-and-so doesn't like me. When you make a decision to accept and follow him, put yourself where they were and make the decision like that. And I can guarantee you the little problems, you'd be like, oh, this is nothing. This is nothing. Well, what about if my friends leave me? Oh, poor you. <laughs> Sorry. I'm in quite the mood tonight preaching. What if my friends don't like me? <laughs> if your friends don't like you because you made a life decision to follow the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, they're not very good friends. If they were your real friends, they'd want to know why did you go after him? How come you look different and act different? Your real friends would go with you. Would you be bold enough to go wherever Jesus directed you? And would you fearlessly speak and do whatever he asked? You see, in church, we talk about what Christ has done and how important it is for each of us to make a decision to accept Him and follow Him. We call it salvation. And if you've come to our church anytime, most services I give an opportunity for people to pray and ask Christ to forgive them come into their lives. Can I tell you something? That is the beginning. That is the very beginning. And then you begin to grow and to learn and you follow Him. Well, today is going to be no different I want to make sure and give an opportunity for anybody who may not yet have accepted Christ as their Savior. In Acts chapter 16, in verse 29 to 34, we read about some of these disciples who chose to continue on following Christ no matter what. And Paul and Silas were whipped and beaten and thrown in jail. And in that jail it said they sang praises. Oh my goodness. Would you have wanted to sing praises after that? You've been whipped and beaten for doing what God asked you to. And you thought everybody was going to clap? And say, woohoo! Instead, they whip and beat you and threw you in jail. I don't know if I could handle that. I, sometimes I feel kind of wimpy, to be honest. When I read these stories, I feel more wimpy. But we don't know if we weren't put in there. Maybe in that situation, God would give us the strength and we'd be like, yeah! But when I look on it from a little bit of a distance, I'm like, woo, no thanks. But they praised him. And God sent another earthquake. There's something about earthquakes tonight. We've mentioned that a couple of times. The doors of the prison were open. 
And the jailer is about to kill himself because you see, it's his life for every prisoner. If he loses a prisoner, they're going to kill him anyways. So he's thinking, I'll kill myself an easy way rather than them torture me. And Paul calls out, don't kill yourself, we're all here. And in verse 29, it says, The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In other words, this jailer had heard them preach earlier before they got beat, or he would not have asked that question. And this was their reply. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household, even at that hour of the night. And the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and he set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they believed in God. What do you need to do to be saved? Believe in him. And in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. 